so this morning, we're going to continue on in a series. And we started this last Sunday, this idea of our tongues. And that our tongues, uh, Scripture tells us that our tongues are a fire. They can be set on fire by the very flames of hell, uh, the Apostle James says. Or they can be anointed by the fire of the Holy Spirit to speak words of life and blessing. And one of the things that Pilgrim were working on is new life as a church. We are a church that has been in decline since 1970 was our heyday of attendance. And we've kind of had ups and downs over the years. And we're working intentionally in this season to say, Lord, what is your, your mission, your vision for us? How can we be a blessing to our city? How, how can we be encouraging to one another? How can we live into the truth of the story of Jesus that brings the story of Israel to fullness and, and find freedom from the broken ways of being human or the sinful ways of being human where we get our identity from divisions and judgment and, and trying to suck life out of pleasures that are important but should be secondary to something deeper, finding our life in Jesus. And what does that look like in a new season if we're going to be a church that's going to be here for another 40, 50 years, let alone another year or two? And so one of the things we've noticed is our speech in the church and as I'm praying and was thinking about what did I need to teach on for this season in February, of course it's a season of love where hopefully you uh, said something kind to someone you love in the last week uh, or you helped keep the uh, wheels of commerce going by buying flowers or a card if you're married or you're dating someone. Um, but this idea of love, we are a communion of love of the local church. So speaking the truth, what comes out of our mouths and speaking in a way that is also in love was just this thing that kept sort of pulsating in my brain. And so that's what we've been wrestling with. If you missed last Sunday, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message because we're going to build on that a little bit today. The series is Tongues on Fire or Tongues of Fire. And today we're specifically going to talk about truth-telling and the heart, the power of our tongue on fire, particularly today, the the issue of truth-telling and our heart. There were two stories that come to mind here uh, before I get any farther in the message here. Um, one is, you know, this novel coronavirus obviously has been a big deal in the news and around the world. And um, I left my illustration here, so I'm going to come pick it up so I get the names right. But it was interesting. There was a report that's been going on uh, by one uh, uh, a reporter, Vivian Wang, said this, that at the beginning of the outbreak, and as the outbreak has gone along in mainland communist China, there were two video bloggers, and they dispatched from the heart of where the outbreak was going And their dispatches were showing fear and grief and dissatisfaction of how the government was responding in mainland China. And so Vivian Wang goes on and she said, reporting from Hong Kong, she said, the beige van van, uh, squatted outside the hospital in Wuhan and its side and back doors were ajar. Fang Bin, I'm sorry if I'm getting the name wrong, a local clothing salesman peered inside this van as he walked past, she reports, and he groaned so many dead. He counted five, six, seven, eight body bags and thought, this is too many. That moment in a 40-minute video about the coronavirus outbreak has devastated mainland China and propelled Mr. Fang to internet fame. And less than two weeks later, he disappeared. Days earlier, another prominent video blogger in Wuhan, Chen Qishui, also had gone missing. Mr. Chen's friends and family said they believed he had been forcibly quarantined. Before their disappearances, Mr. Fang and Mr. Chen had recorded dozens of videos from Wuhan streaming unfiltered and heartbreaking images from the center of the outbreak. Long lines outside of the hospitals, 
feeble patients, agonized family. And the footage would have been striking anywhere, but it was so especially so coming from inside mainland China where even mild criticism of authorities is quickly scrubbed from the online record. And those responsible for it often punishment. I won't read you the whole article, but she goes on and says this, the appetite for the videos reflects in part the shortage of independent news sources in China and mainland China where professional newspapers are tightly controlled by the authorities. And earlier this month, the state propaganda department deployed hundreds of journalists to reshape the narrative of the outbreak. But the videos also reflected the growing call for free speech in mainland China in recent weeks as the coronavirus has prompted criticism and introspection from unexpected corners across the country. If you want the link to this article and to read the rest of it um, from Mrs. Wang, I encourage you to read that. It seems this issue of distorting the truth or lies, whether it's politically motivated is something that we have to wrestle with and we're confronted with in our culture all the time. Let me give you another story of this distortion. Dog owner Peggy Rainier dropped off her six-year-old Shih Tzu at Montreal Dogs, a popular daycare for dogs some years ago whose owners need to leave town for a few hours or days. Stanley, the Shih Tzu, weighed eight pounds. So Peggy left her dog, Stanley, with this Montreal Dogs place, and only needed Stanley to be looked after for a few hours. Soon after dropping him off, Peggy got an urgent call from Montreal Dogs telling her that her dog had run away. Took it to the dog kennel. Dog calls back. Your dog has run away. And so for a full week, a full week, the owners and employees at Montreal Dogs searched for Stanley And they did so with Peggy's friends and family, and they put up over 400 posters offering a $5,000 reward. Some dog, right? You could replace... Well, never mind. The dog lovers will go after me later. I'm just going to... People were looking under their cars. They were looking around dumpsters. They They were looking at nearby railroad tracks, and they put up notices online and in newspapers, and owners phoned Peggy. The owners of this place phoned Peggy every day, during her, offering her encouragement and support about the lost dog. Remember, the dog's name here is Stanley. Peggy's sister told the media, we went through hell. We went through hell thinking somebody had kidnapped Stanley or sold him to a pharmaceutical company. All the terrible things you think about when your dog is lost. Hear this story. After a week, Peggy called the nonprofit pet retrieval and rescue organization for help. She is escalating the situation to find her beloved Stanley. So they called Montreal Dogs, the owners of Montreal Dogs, and they would bring in a special, they told them they would bring in a special tracking dog and would be looking at the surveillance tape from the business across the street from Montreal Dogs. And they, that had a nice shot of the front entrance of Montreal Dogs in view. The owners at that point confessed that they had lied about Stanley's escape. In reality, what happened? Stanley had been mauled to death by at least four large dogs in the care of Montreal dogs. The owners told reporters they had lied to spare Peggy Ranger the pain of knowing her dog had suffered such a horrific death. Peggy, and this article is from some years ago, 2012, Peggy sued the company 
But the owners of Montreal Dogs at the time told the media, in retrospect, it would have been best to tell the truth. Let's pray and look at Jesus' words on our heart and truth-telling this morning. Lord, we are tempted to tell what we might call little lies. We are tempted uh, in our concern or in our avoidance to spin the truth to make ourselves look better or our government or our business. So God, as we dig into this today, I pray that your word would work in our hearts that we would understand that our speech is something that we are to be yielding to you constantly and that we all fail as we learned from James 3 and 4 last Sunday so often. But God, if we're going to see new life in our lives, in our city, and in our church, we have to learn to speak the truth in love as Ephesians tells us so eloquently. Let us dig into that today. Be with us. I'm human. I'm a sinner. I'm a saint in process. I can't change anyone's heart, but I know you can, Lord. And so through worship, word, and community, draw us in today, we pray in Jesus' name. And if you're willing to, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. So many things that set the stage for what we want to talk about today. The main idea that I want you to walk away with this morning, if you're taking notes, this is a good time to get out your little outline that's in your newsletter every week that you can follow along and do home church prep. If you're going to a home church, this is small group prep right here. This is the ramp up for the main dish, which is going deeper in community throughout our city during the week. Speaking truthfully and in love is a call to harness our tongue for good. This is what flows out of a mind or a heart that's being continually surrendered to Jesus' grace. The goal of discipleship and repentance is many things, but it aims at our hearts, our inner being, to address and change our desires. Because if we change our desires, we will change what we love, and we are motivated most by what we love. And Christianity calls us to think differently about our loves, and then comes out in our words and our actions. As Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Ephesians 4.14 says this, we're no longer to be children tossed about back and forth by waves of every wind of teaching, the trickery of people who craftily carry out deceitful schemes, but practicing the truth in love. Say it with me, truth in love. One, two, three. One more time so I know you're awake. Truth in love. Okay, all right. Sounds good. You guys sound great today. You look good too. By the way, for everyone who harassed me about wearing a sunshine yellow shirt today, I love you. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to grow as a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Oh, come on. That was funny. Uh, Some of you got that. Remember, I was in Florida last, and people wear brighter colors there. So I have bright colors in my wardroom. I've noticed Vancouver people, it's like gray, dark gray, light gray, medium gray, black, Uh, and various shades of black, black with a little bit of blue, black with a little bit of gray, uh, and occasionally something colorful. Somebody came in with a bright coat today, and I said, way to go. So anyway, all right, just trying to bring some sunshine into your life today as we talk about this subject. So truth in love, truth in love, speaking the truth in love. Stanley Hauerwas, in his commentary on Matthew, said this, too often we try to weaponize our speech, the things we say to establish our superiority, we want to weaponize it. Governments understand this. That's why they want to control the narrative around things like a virus outbreaking. 
There was a doctor that passed away who had tried to warn in Wuhan province or the Wuhan city, rather. Uh, I forget the provinces, but anyway. The, and he tried to warn, the ophthalmologist, and he was literally censored and shut up. Think about it. If his word had gotten out farther, maybe there would have been less deaths and less casualties than there has been. But we want to spin the narrative. We want to control. We want to weaponize our speech to establish our superiority Look the other way. Don't look over. Don't look behind the curtain in the Wizard of Oz. Everything is fine, says the overarching Grand Oz, right? We do the same thing in little ways oftentimes. So we want to learn to speak truthfully. If we want our tongue to be on fire with the fire of the Holy Spirit, we need to learn to speak truthfully. We see in Scripture and prayer there is a time to speak our, our tough words to God in the Psalms. There are Psalms of rage. There are Psalms of disappointment. There is a proper place to vent that. It first and foremost begins with God and releasing those things to the Lord. And we learn that in our rage, in our disappointment, God does not abandon us. We're also to pray without pretension. We're to speak truthfully before the Lord, not pretentiously, not pretending that he doesn't know who we really are and where we're really at. Psalms also force us to acknowledge sins. But for us, Jesus is also God's ultimate psalm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, Only the cross as God's truth about us makes us truthful. Only the cross as God's truth about us makes us truthful that we were so worthy of love that he died for us in our place and that our brokenness and sins are such that they they call forth a death this sort of strange message brought together of the cross. He goes on and says, those who live or lie under the cross can do without swearing oaths as a a commandment to establish their truthfulness, for they exist in the perfect truth of God. He says, there is no truth towards Jesus without truth towards other people. There is no truth towards Jesus without truth towards other people. Lying destroys community. Let me say that again. Lying destroys destroys community. But truth rends false community and it helps true friendship to develop. The final sentence is, there is no following Jesus without living in truth, unveiled before God and other people. So again, three things we want to explore a little deeper. Last Sunday we talked about the main idea of our cursing, our misuse of our tongues. That we are so quick to be negative and to tear down and to distort. And this Sunday, we're building on that a little bit with lies and then positively with truth-telling. And so often, this curses, this negativity, this destruction can be found in the body of Christ. Sometimes Christians can be the absolute worst with our mouths. I know that most of you don't look south of the border, but the political situation and in the church in the United States between conservatives and moderates and liberals within the church and what people say on their social media and they're ripping down. I'll try to post some things sometimes and say, well, here's the perspective that you need to understand from this side or the other side from a Christian perspective. And then I'll watch in comments as some people that I know and some that I don't know that well will begin to just go off and say, yeah, yeah, that's right. And like totally missing that I just posted the other side. The point was not that you sit there and you double down on how you see truth and spin truth. The point is that you open the understanding of where someone else is coming from in order to rehumanize them and remember that they are a beloved child of God created in the image and likeness of God. Here at Pilgrim Church, sometimes if we get worked up about something, sometimes we let our tongues go a little crazy, don't we? We're to be honest. 
It may be passive-aggressive behavior. It may be icing somebody. It may look different, but it's this idea of destruction and destructive patterns with our behaviors and with our words. So what are the right solutions we talked about last week? We can start with hush, hush your mouth, (laughs) like be quiet until you have, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all kind of thing. There's a role for that. We can talk about replacing whatever is pure, whatever is good, whatever is noble, think on these things, build one another up, encourage one another, even more as you see the end approaching. But those solutions don't work unless we first deal with the heart, Jesus tells us. And that's kind of where we ended last Sunday, with the heart. The right solutions start inside. Matthew 15, verses 10 through 20, and we read the Markin version of it this morning in worship. It's not so much what comes into the mouth that defiles a person, Jesus says, as what comes out. The religious leaders were really concerned about performing and hiding. It's got to look a certain way. They're sort of like the Communist Party, uh, but the religious version of it. You got you to have all the things. You got to do the external. And there is something truly about habits that do modify and sometimes help change our desires. So there's some truth in that for sure. But if you're simply doing it, For performance, for other people's judgment and opinion, you're missing the very depth of what it's meant to be is a change of heart. And Jesus says, so it's not so much what you're doing in these new habits. It's what comes out of your mouth. It's what you say and what manifests out of the depths of your heart. This truly matters before God the Father. This truly matters. What is in your heart, beloved? What is going on inside of you? This is how we change our speech patterns. If there's no uh, taking on the heart, we will not change how we speak. We will not move into, as Paul says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, making music in your heart to the Lord. That our speech as believers is to be blessing speech. Our speech in general is to be encouraging speech. Yes, 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 I know. We'll get into this in Lent. There is a place for prophetic denunciation. But most of the time, you are not supposed to be in prophetic denunciation mode. And most of the time when you're doing that, you, you're just being a judgmental and harsh and sort of heaping judgment back on yourself, not realizing you're trying to suck identity out of someone else instead of love them as a creation of God. And so there's this issue of speech in our discipleship that absolutely matters. Y'all are so quiet this morning. I know I'm, 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 you know, I'm only a permanent resident. I will become a citizen, but culturally I'm still, I was saved in Pentecostal land. So if you understand what I'm saying, would you say amen? Yeah. Okay, okay. You don't have, no coercion. It's just a free ask. Okay, moving forward. What comes out of the mouth? We talked about the heart. Ezekiel 36 talks about this, that God wants us to get to a point. He says, where I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and you move you to follow my decrees and to follow my law. And in the New Testament, we see this ultimately as the law of love displayed in Christ. So the right solution, again, starts with transformation of the heart. Say it with me, the heart. I'll give you, with this, give you this and then we'll talk a little more about the heart in the Sermon on the Mount. Are you still awake, amen? I've got a few more minutes. I'm going to give you some, some gold here. This is gold right here, folks. Spiritual hearts can become hardened in two main ways. Your heart gets hardened in two main ways. Hearts harden from the inside when we keep saying no to sort of God's wooing and drawing by the Holy Spirit. Our hearts harden 
when we sin, when we do things that destroy relationship and break covenant. Uh, you know, sin is destroying things that make for flourishing for humans. And sometimes that word is hard in our, our culture because we joke about, <laughs> sin, I ate a little extra chocolate. <laughs> you know, we, we laugh. But what scripture means by things that are categorized as sin is that which actually destroys the humanity and the image and likeness of God in others and destroys covenant relationship, which we were made for. It's actually really awful because what it does is it makes us less human, dehumanizes others, and leaves us empty, always chasing after something that never quite fulfills as God's love and learning to live according to things that make that love a reality for others. Simply put, our heart in our hearts when we sin, we are resistant to the Holy Spirit who tries to convict us. And we live in a condition of saying no to God again and again. Our hearts harden more and more and more. Hearts also harden against the outside when we try to protect ourselves from being hurt. If I am ever tempted of a hard heart, it is in this category more than the other because I've seen too much of the other destruction. Every person has been hurt by other people. And often we try to protect ourselves by hardening our heart against those who might bring pain into our lives, which on one hand is a natural reaction. Pain is always teaching us something. But that pain, instead of teaching us how to react differently, how to respond differently, how to live as a peacemaker, a reconciler, where possible, a forgiver, we begin to harden our heart and put up these walls, which is a sort of fearfulness, or it can be arrogance or bitterness to protect ourselves. Well, I'm never letting anybody into that place again because of what happened in this situation. And solely we numb ourselves emotionally. And you were not created for that. You were created to be a strong, courageous, loving person. But hardness of heart will keep you from that as well. We have to be honest about that. Religion, we can also mask our hard hearts behind religion as the Pharisees did. Not all of them, but many of them did. I'm doing the things. I'm checking the boxes. I want this house full, man. I want people packed in these pews, soon-to-be chairs. I want this place full. I want home church full. I want to see all of that. But if you're just doing that to tick off a box out of loyalty, hmm, that's not, that's not what we're talking about here at Pilgrim. We want because you're engaged in living community, because your heart has been softened, because you want to be an example of new humanity and empowered in the rest of your life throughout the week by the Spirit in gathering and sending and then being the church throughout the city. We want that out of a soft heart, not out of a duty or loyalty. Because duty or loyalty will only get you so far. And somehow if someone disappoints you or something, you may just walk away from the faith instead of it being about what's going on deep inside of this heart and in community. Hmm. Obedience matters, but again, it's about being grounded in what's happening on the inside. This matters. I want to say more, but I got to get to the last two things. So two things quickly, the heart and the Sermon on the Mount. What is the heart? What is the heart in Scripture? Maybe you've been hearing me use the word heart a lot. What does this mean? The Christian view of the person is that you are not simply a material, a sort of sack of flesh with a thinking thing stuck on top of it, a stick, as one of the pop atheists put. You're more than that. There's a reality to you that transcends simply your physical body. Now, the physical and the heart and the spirit, as we might say, they are enmeshed together. 
So scripture uses this language of the heart kind of like we use modern language about the mind, our our thinking, our understanding, our, our emotions, our personality, our memory, our intellect, that it's more than just what's happening with synapses firing in your brain, but there's something about you that transcends simply your physicality. And the Christians believe that you are a spirit, that you're created and you live on and on and on. And, and in being created, your body and spirit. But when the body dies, the essence of who you are continues on. That heart and also the language of soul comes into play. But mainly when we talk about heart, it's this thing, it's the sense of, again, personality, your intellect, your memory, your emotions, your will, the experiences and the things that were given you both at the very beginning and throughout life that make you up and continue on. There, of course, in Scripture, the heart can sometimes mean the physical organ, but mostly it means this idea of all that makes you up, the totality of your person that makes you a unique person versus the person you're sitting next to or behind you or in front of you, even in this place. We're told in Scripture that this heart is something that can be changed. It can be crushed. It can learn. It can admit it's wrong. It can be, it can be uh, enlarged with uh, sort of uh, one of the language in Ezekiel is you can have a fat and uh, an unsubmitted heart that doesn't respond to God's will. You can have a heart that's surrendered to God. So this idea of the heart is important. The Erdsman's Bible Dictionary puts it this way. I'll give you one little quote here about the heart. The use of the word heart in all the context, Old Testament and New, suggests that on the deepest level, human beings are guided and determined. You're guided and determined from one central point of your humanity, which your heart represents. This is your true humanity. Goes on and says, this is true of both your response to the revelation of God and your responsibility for your own thinking, willing, and acting flows out of this thing the Bible calls the heart. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's going on inside of you, dear friends, matters. What's going on deep inside of you, the Lord cares about. And if you want to see life change, it's submitting that part of you to God and saying, Lord, have my heart. I yield my heart to you. Forgive me for hardness of heart. And inviting God's spirit to do a renewing work within your heart, that thing that fully makes you up, that goes beyond. Have you ever done that thought experience of, what if I was... If, if I didn't have this body, have any of you ever thought about that? And some of you, if you're dealing with pain or you're dealing with, have you ever thought about, what if I am separate from my body? And you realize you're having these thoughts about your identity separate from your body. The futurists promise us one day that uh, we'll add all kinds of technological attachments to this body and it almost will become something else. Who knows? But the essence of that person continues on. That gives me hope and not fear if we come, all become cyborgs, that we can still have a heart as long as the technology doesn't assimilate us like the Borg in Star Trek, okay? All right. That was a deep, totally rabbit trail, but move on, Pastor. Okay, we'll move on. So for our speech to be changed, our heart needs to be softened, our heart needs to be yielded. Out of the abundance of the heart we speak, the heart can be hard, the heart can be soft. The heart is the fullness of your personhood, of who you are, that makes you different than the person you're sitting next to. Out of that heart, God desires a relationship with us that that heart is aligned with him. And and so the prayers of Lord soften my heart. In Psalm 50, David prays this about God, uh, give me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me out of your presence, but renew me in salvation and newness of life and give me a new spirit. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. All of this is talking about that thing that makes you most who you are as an individual in the image and likeness of God and how you relate to others, 
has to be changed by that piece of you, your heart, yielding your heart. And hopefully you've thought about this before, but if you haven't, it can be a real mind-bender to think about you're not just this physical mass walking around. You're not just a sack of flesh with a mind stuck on top. There's something more going on. So Jesus says, finally, this morning, we'll land the plane with this, and I want to just read to you from Matthew 5 as we build on this series on our using our tongue. You want to turn with me? I'm going to read Matthew 5 from what I call the peak of the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount, the top of the thing. In Matthew 5, it's a very short passage starting in verse 33. Jesus says this. Hear these words today from Christ. Again, you have heard it said to an older generation, do not break an oath, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But, verse 34, I say to you, don't take oaths at all. Don't take an oath by heaven because it is the throne of God, nor by earth, verse 35, because it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. Verse 36, don't take an oath by your head because you're not able to make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. More than this is from the flame of hell, the evil one with our tongues. And So today I want to sort of land this plane by pulling us back to Jesus' teaching on our tongue and the power of our speech. Truthful speech matters. Say it with me. Truth matters. How we speak matters. Truth in love. And we've been exploring both of these ideas from Paul, this tension or this, not really a tension, but dialectic. They come together, the truth in love. Truth matters. Truth is what makes relationship possible. Truth is something that when we have to swear oaths, we're saying that there's two tiers of speech. There's a speech when I'm really telling the truth, and there's a speech where I might be lying or might be distorting or spinning, or let's use all the positive words, distorting, spinning, um, softening the blow, whatever, (laughs) this kind of thing, unless I'm swearing an oath. And so Jesus says in this culture of the time, in the Old Testament there are oaths, and elsewhere in the New Testament there are, that people would say, I'm going to do something, and I'm going to swear on something else. Courts, I think, still in many places, jurisdictions use Bibles. I'm going to swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, right hand on the Bible. So help me God. Now, Mennonites, some of the folks that I have family background in on one side, uh, got an exemption eventually because they took this command on the Sermon on the Mount quite at the literal rule level of ethics, making a rule right away saying, well, he's saying, don't ever swear oaths. So some places, in fact, we were just doing something, oh yes, renewing Oliver's passport at the U.S. Embassy, and they had made Anne and I swear an oath uh, that we were going to tell the truth and truthfully represent whatever we're putting on this document about our son, you know? And he said, but you know what? You don't have to say the oath. You can also say, I affirm. That's actually a nod mostly to the Mennonite Anabaptists who said, well, I won't swear an oath, but I will affirm that what I say is truthful. Well, that's one way to interpret that passage, but really most biblical scholars say, Okay, you could go down that path, but the reality is he's getting more at this issue of truthfulness in our speech. This idea that we speak truthfully, that we are known as people that speak honestly. Now, that doesn't mean, and I can immediately hear religious voices in my head, that doesn't mean be a jerk. Say it with me. It doesn't mean be a jerk. Remember Paul's injunction, speaking the truth in love, in context of relationship, in a way the other person can actually hear and receive what you're saying. In love matters. Amen? Come on now. Say amen. All right. If you want this sermon to ever end, say amen. Okay, here we go. Speaking the truth in love. But we are to speak the truth. 
I love how John says at the beginning of his gospel, in Jesus, he was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. We are to be people of Jesus who are of grace and truth. And here he tells them, stop using oaths to get away from being truthful because they said this. They wouldn't swear on the name of God anymore by this time in Judaism because God was too holy and that that oath would truly be binding. But if I swear on the communion table that I will wash Noah's car later, no, I swear on this communion table, you know, because it's in the house of God, it's in the church, you know, that I'm going to wash. But I don't show up and wash your car. I can say, well, you know... (laughs) You knew I didn't swear on the name of God. I swore on the communion table, and that's not the same, so I could bust my oath. And that's what they were doing sometimes. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of it. But, but then when they didn't follow through, they said, well, I didn't actually swear on the name of God. I swore on God's house, or I swore on the communion table within the church. And that's not exactly the same, so there is no real consequence. And Jesus said, stop all that foolishness. If you're going to do something and say you're going to do it, then do it. If not, don't do it. Speak truthfully to one another. Speak truthfully to one another. No, if you want me to wash your car, let's wait till it's warmer. I have a power washer, but we'll talk. We got to, you know, I don't even know if you have a car, but if you, okay, all right. Your dad's car, okay? <laughs> Somebody's car. Well, that was an easy promise. I swear on the community table, I will wash your car. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So Jesus is teaching here not simply avoiding oaths, but that we have, that we should not have a two-tiered system of speech. Because if you can't be counted on to tell the truth when you're not under oath, why should you be trusted when you are under oath? If you're following any American politics and impeachment inquiries and all of that is all about perjury, people saying things under oath but not really. So Jesus is saying the way of deliverance from a sinful pattern of lying and deceiving through using oaths or anything else can be broken by simply practicing telling the truth. In medical ethics, there is this issue, if you studied biomedical ethics, and I was a philosophy undergrad, there's this issue of telling the truth matters, that speaking the truth matters, veracity, the ethic of veracity, the principle there, that we speak truth based on the Latin word uh, veritas, but this idea of telling the truth matters in medical ethics more and more versus back in the day when the doctor could say whatever, and you sort of just took it. In John's gospel, this is a key word again, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the ultimate bearer and communicator of truth, and we want to build our life on what is most real, most authentic, we most true. We have to go to Jesus. Pilate, the Roman ruler, when Jesus was brought before him, and Jesus said to him, uh, responded, that I am truth, or I've come to testify to truth. Pilate says, what is truth? Just like so many of us today. But Jesus tells us, and the scripture tells us, that truth is not simply saying correct statements that correspond to reality. It's certainly that, but it's so much more. It's not simply beliefs or the words said, but it's also a way of living. There's an embodiment of truthfulness that flows out of a heart that's been softened. Your desire to be truthful increases as you yield your heart and say, God, give me a soft heart. Forgive me for being harsh. That doesn't mean, again, how we speak the truth matters in love, but that doesn't mean we avoid it or we spin it but we find ways to communicate in relationship, in context, in a way the other person can actually hear what we're saying. And I might add in humility as well. Jesus said, particularly in offenses, also in the Sermon on the Mount, when you approach someone else, see your own offenses as if it were a beam and the others as if it were a speck of dust. And you may feel, oh, they definitely got the beam and I've got nothing wrong with my sight. But he said, when you approach someone, this is how you do it. 
Paul says in Galatians that when you correct a brother or sister who is in error, do it in love. And you know how hard that is because we've been trained by our culture. If I've got my truth, I've got to just let it out there. It's my truth and bam, there it is. And Christianity says, no, no, relationship is more important. How you will say that truth matters immensely. And so we need to live truthfully in love. So how can I land this this morning? In scripture, truth is a path. It's something we choose to walk in. In Scripture, when we live with a heart and mind that's softened, truth is also a place in 2 Peter 1.12. Truth is something that we have to welcome into our hearts. I want to have a truthful heart towards God and towards others. Genesis 42 and Psalms 51, it has to be welcomed. And then it will emerge out of our mouths, as we've said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we welcome truth in our heart and we are truthful before the Lord, we begin, our speech patterns begin to change. 2 Thessalonians 2.10 tells us that truth is to be loved. Jeremiah 5 tells us that we are to seek ardently after truth. 1 Corinthians 13.6 says love rejoices in truthful speech and truth. 2 Corinthians 13.8 says truth is to be cited with. Integrity is when the distance between your heart and what comes out of your mouth is is narrowed. We are to be those kind of people who are people of integrity. People can trust what we say. People can trust that we will say things in love when it's a hard word. Even in prophetic denunciation, which some of the progressive liberal friends of mine really geek out on wonderful stuff. Walter Brueggemann, love it, speaking truth to power and all this good stuff. It's all good. But the whole point of prophetic denunciation in Hebrew Bible is with the very hopes that the people who hear the word, hearts will be softened and they will respond and enemies will be turned into friends and be turned into brothers. So we don't speak it in such a way that slams the door permanently. Speaking the truth in love. So what are we called to? How do we land this this morning? A softening heart. Say it with me, a softening heart. We need to pray, and maybe you need to pray in this place, God, soften my heart. Maybe you have weaponized truth, or you've weaponized deceitful speech. And eventually, if you keep living lying to yourself about yourself and not hearing what God says about your identity... If you keep lying to others about who you are, if you keep lying, you you eventually find that that weight is too heavy to carry. You just get burdened down because you don't remember who you've been, what face you've presented to who, and you got 15 different facades and pretension, and eventually it's crushing and crushing and hardening your heart and your soul. He wants to give you a soft heart and remove that numbness. Discipleship is about stripping away falseness and false self and false identity, whether it's the religious version or the secular version. Jesus comes to undo both. I might add that as we land this plane, we're called to truthful living and straightforward speech, yet in love. And if pilgrim is going to become a kind of place, the people are queuing in line to get into worship and home church. We have to be a place where it is safe to speak the truth and to hear others speaking truth and wrestling, discerning and encouraging and responding. And remember, when you speak the truth, we also discern together. Are you truly hearing that based on what Jesus says? So I land this this morning by saying this, telling the truth is a central kingdom of God ethic and our relationships require it to be flourishing. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray?
It's a bit of a deep dive today, but really super simple. Let me summarize it for you. Recap from last week. Simply hushing yourself or changing your language is not enough. Submitting your heart to Christ begins there, and out of that, we begin to work on those new habits and patterns. The second thing that we addressed this morning was heart. What is the nature of the heart? The totality of your personality. You are more than just a sack of flesh walking around with bones with a brain stuck on top, but you are created with, there's something about you that is more than that. And the Bible talks about that as heart and spirit and soul. This totality makes you up. And third thing is truthful speech from the Sermon on the Mount. That we must lean into truthful speech. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Don't find ways to always get around being real and honest. And again, make sure you caveat that with asterisks. Don't be a jerk. That doesn't mean I just get to spout off. And some of you say, well, I hear your speech and, and your sermon. Sometimes you're pretty, you're right, I'm in process too. But also keep in mind, this is a different speech act than if Noah and I are negotiating about me washing his car later. We're trying to explicate the word of God and go into this a little more. But this idea of how we speak in love matters. And I share this for you because I love you and I want more for you and more for us and more for this city. We must learn to be truth tellers. So Lord, send us out today. Well, let's pray and then we'll worship and send out. But Lord, thank you for your word in this place. In February, this month that's marked by love, Sometimes the secular view of love is actually very unloving because it's full of lies. Yes, there's a time and a place to not share certain truths, but if our relationships are built on lies, it is not truly loving. And Lord, whatever else we may be experiencing in our lives right now, where we're lying to ourselves about who we are, or we're speaking truth but in a way that is not building and encouraging, Lord, we repent of that and we turn towards wanting to have the, the mind and the speech of, of Christ Jesus. Lord, we want to be people who our yes is yes and our no is no. We want integrity where our inner life and our outer life, there is not some wide distance between faces that are outward and what we have inside. So bring healing and wholeness, we pray, to our hearts and our mouths. In Jesus' name, amen.